Welcome everyone to another episode of The Coach's Box. I'm your host, Coach JP3, and we have a For the Culture segment. This is our second For the Culture segment that we've had. Last one, we had Brad Johnson from the Miami Marlins uh, and, and sales. And now we have Peter Lovins, the Director of Legal Affairs for the Columbus Blue, Blue Jackets. Peter, thank you for joining us today. Uh, happy to be here, happy to join this, this fun segment. Yes, and we will be posting a video of this so you can see his awesome Mario character light up in the background. It's definitely worth to watch, if not for nothing else, just for that. So, <laughs> but I wanted to kind of ask you a few questions uh, about, uh, you know, what you do and, and what influenced you to, um, you know, choose the career that you're on. And so we'll start with your uh, responsibility. So what does a director of legal affairs do for a professional sports team? Yeah, it's a, it's a great starting question just to have a kind of a basic of understanding. Um, I, I meet with students a lot and, and many that are curious about sports law and what that even means to be a sports lawyer. The most common example that people cite to or think about is sports agents. Um, and I think there's reason for that because it's the most high profile sports lawyer there is. They make movies about them, Jerry Maguire, things like that. And that certainly is a type of sports lawyer. Um, in that context, that sports lawyer, their client or their clients are the athletes. So the work they're doing as a lawyer is with those clients' interests at the core of what they do. Um, in my case, for example, my client is the Columbus Blue Jackets and related entities of you know, our foundation, we do work with our building, which is a separate entity. And, you know, no different than any lawyer that works for a company. I'm just, I'm known as in-house counsel, which means they are my clients. Um, I don't do work with all sorts of clients. I just have one, I'm there 24 seven or all of my working hours are dedicated to my client. Um, the, the very fun part about that, <clears throat> Um, compared to some in-house counsel that may be at a, at a large, large, large company that may have, you know, a law, like almost like a law firm legal department where they have, you know, upwards of hundreds of attorneys for some big companies, we're only a legal department of three. And because of that, and our responsibilities stretching across all legal topics, we, we're really tasked with having a basic general understanding of so many different areas of the law and how that then applies with us, especially um, in, in the world of sports and working for a team in the NHL. I mean, we're ticking the boxes of contract law. Um, we don't do the player contracts, but we do a lot of corporate and business contracts, food and beverage, um, our deal with Ticketmaster, all of our radio and TV broadcasters, um, when we do promotions and sweepstakes, that's kind of a form of contract law. Um, intellectual property, right? We, we have the, the team logo there and the team logo on my shirt and um, you're wearing a, a, a CBJ shirt. So there's, there's copyright and trademark stuff that goes into what we do in our industry. Um, like any company, we also have employees and employees often lead to employment law issues. Um, workers comp while it's unique in how it's applied, um, because most of our workers' comp claims are hockey players themselves getting hurt, um, and that's different than most 
traditional businesses. At the end of the day, it's still a workers' comp employment law. Um, we also do a lot of immigration because hockey is an international sport and we have players from all over the globe. Another kind of form of employment law, but it's just that application of those concepts to our industry. Um, real estate, technology, charitable law, occasionally, occasionally litigation. So um, where some lawyers are specialists and really become experts in a specific area of law, we're all three of us in our department, we're more generalists. We're expected to know just enough about topics to, to, to be deadly, but um, to also recognize what you don't know, right? That's an important part of being a generalist in the law, recognize where you've met your limit. And that's when you go hire an expert to kind of carry it forward. So, you know, a little bit about everything to get the job done, right? I try to. Now, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you don't, right? And sometimes a new topic comes up and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but COVID has led to a lot of new topics that we weren't, uh, no one really knew that much about. And now we're all becoming relative experts in a short amount of time. Yes. Yeah. That's an excellent segue to the uh, next question is you talked about how businesses have had to make adjustments through the pandemic and just adapting, rolling with the punches and making the best so they can still provide the best experiences for everyone involved. What does that look like for the Columbus Blue Jackets? What have you done or what are you currently doing that could be implemented? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And, and every industry, um, the fact that we're doing this over Zoom, you know, there's, there's the general operational matters that have affected every industry, academics, et cetera. Um, just that transition for so many people working from home, what that entails from workflow challenges, managing personnel, the technology in place, um, being more flexible with staff. Uh, I think flexibility has probably been the theme of 2020, um, especially in our industry, because I mean, like many had business interruptions, but for us in terms of the scheduling of things, the delays of seasons, the trying to maintain competitive balance, getting back on the ice, um, everyone having to maintain flexibility, but also trying to do what's best, balancing revenue concerns, balancing health concerns, of course, um, of our staff, of players, of other people that are working, just all those things. There's a lot of logistical challenges, of course, um, that COVID has caused. Um, you know, I mentioned previously all these different areas of law, those all applied in normal cases, right? And with COVID, it tested the bounds of areas of law or brought up new issues that, you know, so many weren't prepared for and we'd had to learn quickly. Um, you know, in the world of employment law, with the presence of COVID, it, it leads to questions of OSHA, right? And, and providing a safe work environment for your employees, how does that then apply to those working from home, for example? Um, FMLA leave, can, you know, how does COVID or can COVID be used for caring of someone in your household with COVID? Um, unfortunately, like many industries, you know, there's, there's layoffs or furloughs, salary reductions that have to be done. How do you do so properly? How do you do so legally? Um, now it's at least in our industry, the, the shift of, well, when we can go back to work or when we choose to go or when it's safe to go and, or maybe we face people in, 
can you require temperature checks? Can you require the vaccine? Can you require masks? What are the bounds of what you can require versus cannot? Um, maintaining privacy with all of that stuff. Um, there've been a whole bunch of, um, and I forget the team that did it. I think the Penguins applied for one of those PPP loans. I think they were one of the only professional organizations to do that. Uh, I'm sure every team kind of thought, hey, are we able to qualify for this legally? Then there's also the PR question of should we? Um, a huge thing this year has been insurance and what possible insurance coverages may you have when your business is interrupted. Um, big thing, you know, I mentioned before all these business contracts we have with corporate partners, with, you know, ticket providers, et cetera. What does your force majeure section say about, A, does this qualify as a force majeure event? Assuming you had language, which not every deal does, depending on the, the significance or um, I guess how tidy up the contract is, does it qualify? If it does, what does it say you should do or can do? Um, and then always throughout all of this, you're always balancing just because a contract says you can do something or it's the contractual consequence of something happening, there's also the question of, is this the best business thing for us to really be strong on? Or do we take a more relationship approach with, especially with our corporate partners and, and companies we've had business relationships for a long time, how do we just work through this together, right? This is messy for everybody. We're all making consolations and pivoting and being flexible. How can we be flexible together and get through this in a way where we end up in a good enough space together once we're through it? Um, labor law, I mentioned immigration law and I may talk about that a bit later, but it's a key facet of my specific job responsibilities because I think I've become the, the expert on immigration, at least that we have internally. Mm -hmm. And so many issues came from COVID, most notably um, our return to play for last season um, projected and ended up having the season go beyond when a season normally ends. The immigration ramifications of that is that you secure immigration through the contractual duration for a player. And if it says their contract ends June 30, that's how long you have immigration status for them for. Well, now the NHL is agreeing to play beyond that. So there's this mad scurry to try and get immigration extensions done for a lot of players mm -hmm. with the backdrop, knowing that the government was also affected by COVID. They're working from home. They're not running at full capacity. So it led to a lot of a lot of issues, a lot of puzzle pieces to kind of find out how they fit together. Um, but we, we managed to, to get through it. It sounds like a, a lot of thinking on the fly, acting on the fly and trying to get the best done for people. Like I, because no one anticipated that this stuff would happen. I, I have a buddy who is a uh, sports immigration lawyer like that is what he does and he he spoke with me about just looking at the different type of visas that the players were having um, and be able to be here and how they wanted to go home to see some of their families and how that presented a lot of problems because like well you may not be able to come back if you, if you if you are able to leave you may not be able to come back now that 
what does that look like now? Do we have to rewrite stuff? And when you have different countries represented, one player may be fine and, you know, their country says, yeah, that's fine. The other person in the other country says, no, no, we can't do that. And uh, it gets really messy, really dicey there. Real messy. And the hard part, especially in this industry, is that the, and, and recognizing how dehumanizing this is, but the asset of the player is the biggest asset for the team, right? And, and of course there's even, there's tiers of players, right? And you never, like, it's hard to say that you're gonna put more priority on this player versus that player, but you know, Tom Brady on the Buccaneers carries a little more weight than whoever their punter is, right? right. Just as a general example. So how do you navigate what's also best for the team? Of course, you're trying to get every player satisfied and to work through immigration, but a, a star player that's Russian versus a star player that's Canadian versus a minor league player that's Canadian, that there's all different issues. And for all of them too, it's almost like creating like an individualized plan for each player. Um, you know, you know, you mentioned too, that there's a, a huge aspect of COVID and maybe should have mentioned this before when we were talking about how we're adapting to it, but there's a mental health angle to all of this, right? Um, in terms of everyone's own personal mental health, how it's affected, even just like I work in my basement and I don't see the sun as much as I would normally. I'm not getting as many steps in my day and how, how that can affect you from a player's perspective while I just dehumanize them and call them just assets. Also recognizing like a bubble scenario, which is how we ended our season. That's viable in the short term, yeah. but you know, and, and we're not in the bubble now. The NBA is not in a bubble now. In the long term, it's asking a lot for the players and the associated staff to be completely cut off from friends and family for that duration of a time. And I, I know there there are people that say, well, they're making so much money, they should be willing to do it. But but there's a there is a mental health element for them as well, right? not being able to see significant others, friends, half the time each other, right? The, the, I think it was just this week, the Washington Capitals got hit with a big fine because the players on a road trip were spending time in each other's hotel rooms. Mm -hmm. Like that's a common bonding thing for these teams when they go on the road. And now we're asking them all, hey, once we're done with dinner, you all go back to your rooms and just sit there by yourself. And that's just a tough ask just from a mental health perspective for anybody. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we've all had to build new habits, even oh, yeah. if we <laughs> like them or not. And, you know, one of the things I thought about with the NBA is that you were in a bubble last year, uh, just like into this uh, for NHL was. And there's, there's a protection around that. The bubble does provide protection because it's like, hey, we're going to have all these services for you. So everyone here, because you can't leave, you're going to be safe for the, for the period of time that you're, that you're in here. Now you start a new season without that layer of protection. Those players over the course of those months have already established like social patterns because they, they didn't have to worry about it. You know, so they can go to each other's rooms because they knew everyone was fine. And, and so now you have a fact where like, okay, I can't do that anymore. I have to be able to have these 
these personal, just like steps in my day, these thought patterns in my day, like, okay, um, how do I keep myself safe? Cause I don't have that layer of protection anymore, which is, it's mind boggling to have to see players, coaching staff, et cetera, all kinds of workers have to just kind of roll with that and reestablish themselves. Absolutely. And I think all of us, and I, I, I think all of us too, there's times where new habits can be established and there's times where sometimes it's almost it's it's like we're we're all somewhat exhausted by all of this and sometimes you just don't have the mental physical emotional capacity to reset a habit you just don't and so you just kind of go on with what you know even to your own detriment at times but it's just like i can only take so much at a time so i'm going to pick and choose my own internal battles like I, I'm staring at over here behind my computer. I, we finally got a treadmill. We were like, listen, this is going to keep going on, yeah. not going to the gym. I mentioned before, I'm not, you know, even the steps going to my car, parking in the garage, walking to my office, like those are steps that actually help you mentally. And I was missing those for a year almost. And it's like, I got to get something so I can do a 20 minute walk or jog just at any point, just to get that back in my system but it takes a lot to recommit to a new habit when so much of us so many of us are still just trying to tread water and just survive at times so i fully understand those that that struggle with new habits or corrective habits and things like that because i'm i'm in the same boat absolutely and and so all these things that that you have worked with the Blue Jackets and doing, you know, throughout your career, what is something that you look at and say, you know what, I'm really happy I got to be a part of that. Like, I'm really proud that I was a piece of this initiative or this policy or whatever the case may be. What is that for you? So this is one of the career highlights for me, and it's one of my best stories that I'll probably tell for the rest of my life. <laughs> Um, but, but to start, and this is going to be the cheesy, like preachy side of it. So this all started, and I've mentioned immigration and how I, I feel like I'm our internal expert now. Most teams, at least in the past, and maybe even still now, the immigration work is not done by a lawyer. It's been done just by a, a hockey operations staff member. And some of it is very turnkey. You know, it's kind of the 80-20 rule. 80% of it is pretty turnkey. And I think it's fair for someone that's not a lawyer to do it. But there's the 20% that becomes a little more nuanced, a little more difficult. And there are legal nuances to it that being a lawyer has helped with. So several years ago, it's probably been five, maybe even six years by now, the person in our hockey ops department that was doing immigration was taking another job. And I saw that as an opportunity to just go in and learn. And the value of, A, I get to learn something new and contribute to the company um, just seemed like a good thing for me to pursue. So I kind of raised my hand and said, yeah, I'd like to take that over. Um, so I did that and over a couple of years, you know, learned the ropes and then felt like I became an expert in it. And with that, learning quicker ways to get things done. And where that led to in the story that I'll tell you is it's one of the areas too where I have the most direct impact on our on ice product, right? Any player that's on there has immigration cleared if they're non-American and steps went into doing that. And in most cases, there's not a time crunch. 
but when there is, and what I've learned over the past years can be applied in such a way that gets a player on the ice a day sooner for practice or at a game when otherwise would have been unavailable, to me, that's a huge accomplishment. So the story that I'll share is when we traded for Matt Duchesne mm -hmm. and the timeline of it. There's actually an article for this. If I give you a link to it, could you link to it somehow, share it? I don't know. I'll give you the link because it kind of tells the story. But the, the short answer to it is, so we're at the trade deadline and we make a trade for Matt Duchesne, who's a Canadian playing for a Canadian club. So at that point, he doesn't have U.S. employment immigration status. And it was a Friday, which also mattered because if we, even if we rushed through immigration paperwork, we're going to mail it off because the office is in Vermont. We're going to mail it to their, you know, the earliest I can get them approved is Monday because we have to wait for the mail to get there and their offices can be open. And fortunately, and, and this is where things got crazy, we're fortunate to work for uh, ownership the, the McConnell family that has access to a private jet. And someone came up with the thought of, well, what if we just fly the application directly to Vermont now? <laughs> so we decided to do that. Um, you know, it was, it was like the, it was the Hail Mary, right? And I kept cautioning everyone. So even if we fly this, like, here's how long I need to get the application done. We fly it there. Um, it's not just an office you walk up to and they have just, you know, someone at the window waiting to greet you. They normally don't accept deliveries except from bonded couriers is what I've learned, which is basically FedEx and UPS. And we learned some local courier services are allowed to deliver there. So working through all these moving parts, um, it was also a good example too of teamwork and that we had like my boss calling A, B, and C, our HR director calling X, Y, and Z while I'm working on paperwork, someone's booking the flight. Cause you even flying private, you still have to register with the, you know, the FAA and things like that. Um, they talked about sending someone else, but I said, look, if, if there's any issues with the paperwork, I want to be there to fix it. Mm -hmm. So I think, so we learned about this trade at like 11 AM by 1.30, I was on the flight. So in a, a matter of like two and a half hours, we sorted through everything, did the paperwork. I get on the flight. Mind you, I've never flown anything other than coach. Like I've never written business class, first class. Right. Like I'm on like this private 20 seater, two pilots and me, whole thing, like all to myself. Like you just kind of walk up and they like grab your bags. It was a whole surreal experience. Flies significantly faster than a commercial jet I've learned. Just because it's lighter. They also go higher in the air by like 10,000 feet. So the air is thinner and they can go faster, like just crazy, crazy stuff. I think we get there by like 3.30, hand off the paperwork to our courier. He gets it delivered. We got him approved by like 5.17 p.m. that day. So he was able to play Friday night and fly back with the team because oddly enough, we were playing the team we traded for. So he actually just did the, he changed locker rooms, like <laughs> was eligible to play. The bigger thing was he was eligible to fly back that night because we got him approved and playing our game the next day. And, wow. and the greatest part about it is he scored in that game, mm. which I 
100% of the credit for, of course. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> and, and, and then the funny, I mean, this whole day was just so weird too, because I just remember too, we were in the middle of remodeling our house. We had a furniture delivery scheduled that day. I actually flew back, and this is the personal side of it, flew back, I got back at like 7.30. My husband and I had tickets to go see uh, Nina West in the Little Mermaid theatrical performance. And I like, I missed like 10 minutes of the first act, but then was still there for the rest of it. It was just the most crazy whirlwind of a day. But it, it was just that, that, that full circle of like learning at first, dipping my toe in the water, knowing nothing about immigration, becoming an expert. And, it, and I truly, I'm not an arrogant person, but getting someone approved like that Several other teams, I see it, they'll have trades and a player will miss two to three games. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm providing direct value in this area to like the most important part of our business. And, and that is just, it feels good when you're able to have that direct impact um, and also have a crazy, crazy story to go along with it. Of course. That's awesome. We've talked several times over the years. And I don't think I've heard that story yet. I, I, I mean, it was within a year or two ago. I mean, our talks are often about like diversity stuff, yeah, and, right. <laughs> you know, but, but like it's, it's one of my crowning stories too. And, and even that year, I just recall there was a player that, um, you know, another team traded for. And I see that he's like, Oh, having immigration issues hasn't been approved yet. And this is a game. This is another game. And I'm like, see, like th th there's incredible value in being able to do that. That's awesome. That's a great story. And so looking at what you do, what or who influenced you to do the work that you're doing today? You have such good questions. Um, <laughs> I think there's really two people that I hope tell a bit of a story. Now, now the first is, you know, the uh, very common answer, but my dad was a lawyer and sure. um, he was a more traditional lawyer with the state of Alaska attorney general's office, et cetera. Um, I, I never wanted to go in the law just to follow in his footsteps. That, that was never really a driving force with me. Um, particularly my undergrad was in marketing and I, I love marketing. I love like, why do you pick this color? What's your strategy? Why do you launch on this day versus, versus that? What's your advert? I, I love marketing strategy and, and just how you think through all that stuff. Um, I don't have any artistic talent to go with it, which is a bit of a hindrance as you're like, hey, I have this great idea, let me sketch it out. And it's like stick figures, that's not right. good. Um, but when I was coming out of undergrad, I, I was fortunate to work, this is my first like breaking into sports with Lee Steinberg, the sports agent. And, and it's a big name. Um, you know, he's had like a 30 year, 40 year career at this point representing some of the top NFL players, predominantly quarterbacks, um, you know, for the, our generation, you know, Warren Moon, Steve Young, Troy Aikman, yep. Benny, Ben Roethlisberger, and now he's representing Patrick Mahomes, if you've heard of him, you know, that, that, that's his like type of clientele. And I was fortunate to have an internship with him as an undergrad, but what, what struck me about working with Lee was not, it wasn't just the, the business of sport that mattered to him. He, he truly believed that sport has this power for social change and positive influence in communities such that he required, if you're going to be a client of his, it, it's almost a privilege to be his client 
And because of that, he could put demands on his clients. And one of them was, you have to have some sort of give back community initiative, whether it's where you grew up, where you went to high school, college, or where you're playing professionally. And that just resonated with me how sport, you know, and Nelson Mandela has a great quote about the power of sport to kind of break down discrimination and cross lines that other things can't. You know, you put a soccer ball between some people that may disagree on everything and they're gonna play and have fun with each other and kind of just break down the barriers between them. And, and I see the power of sport for that. Um, you know, we, we geez, if, if there's any evidence of it now, I mean, how active communities have been, the sports industry has been for social change initiatives from Colin Kaepernick to all the WNBA players, basically shifting the, the like dynamics of the US Senate, right? Like using that um, Megan Rapino, like all these athletes finding their voice more and more, LeBron James in Akron and all the stuff he's doing to just build up communities and educate and all this stuff. And, and that to me resonates so, so, so much. And so it, it was from my undergraduate experience in marketing, right? Cause I still think that's selling and building brands. Yes, absolutely. And working at, with Lee, seeing sport and community initiatives and then kind of my dad's influence growing up. I just thought a, a law degree could tie all of those passions together in a way and, and grant a little bit of cohesion and legitimacy to my voice and things like that. So that's all what led me to go to law school. Um, particularly with a passion for social change in sports. And then, you know, from that, it's pursuing sports law and sports industry opportunities. Um, getting this job, of course, a tremendous, tremendous opportunity that I had um, and just continuing to kind of push all that forward as best as I can. Awesome, awesome. And the last question is, you know, there may be someone that's gonna be listening to this or watching this that says, you know, I'm actually interested in doing something like that. I, I, can, I can see myself in that. And maybe they've been attracted to law, but not real sure how, where to place it. Is I'm gonna do like a corporate company? Am I gonna do education in law or, you know? And they say, you know, sports, I, I, yes, I could do that. What advice would you give someone looking to do the work that you're doing now? So there, there's some, I have to give a dose of reality first. Mm -hmm. Um, in that it is a cool job, right? And with any cool job, there's competition for said job. Um, and the reality of that for any economics folks out there is there's a labor market force that anytime there's a higher competition for something and a low supply of something, it's hard to get into. And you also get paid much, much less than if you worked at some other type of industry. Now that's not entirely to dissuade someone to do it because it's competitive and people want to do it for a reason. Um, being able to mix a passion with your career is incredibly, incredibly rewarding. Um, so because of that though, recognize that the competitive level to get a position is gonna be even higher so you therefore have to make yourself more competitive. So how do you do that? One, you just have to work hard. Um, you're gonna be balancing doing well academically, um, finding internships or other extracurricular activities that allow you to demonstrate 
your skill set in the industry. Um, maybe it's volunteering at things, whatever it may be to, to demonstrate that you're committed to sports and the industry of sport um, is very, very important. And it's the only way you're going to be able to even get through the initial resume process is if you have a little bit of experience behind the curtain, right? More than being more than just a fan. There, there's a lot of fans, right? And there's a lot of fans I think would be cool to work in it. So show me, right? Show me a little bit that you've seen behind the curtain, you, you're willing to get your hands dirty and do the work behind the curtain and that you're still sticking it out and want to do it. One of the other hardest parts about it, and I often caution, as tough as this is to balance, in order to get an opportunity in sports, you're going to have to demonstrate that you want to and have experience doing it, but you also really can't put all your eggs in that basket, I would say. Um, being realistic that you may not get an opportunity. You can do everything right and the door may just never open. So what's your plan B or even what's your plan A1 or 1A, 1B, 1, you know, you need a, a secondary plan that isn't, that doesn't just feel like it's the secondary plan, right? You, you truly have to find a passion for another area. If it's the law, another area of law that you can be perfectly content doing. Now that doesn't mean you completely forego the sports angle. It's, you know, in, in, in the best case scenario, you would find something that you're passionate about that you can also say has a direct application in sport so that if an opportunity comes up, you can say, hey, I know I was doing this type of law, but I know you have a lot of issues there with the blue jackets. And, and I think I would still be valuable with you there or whatever it may be in terms of um, sports opportunities. And that, that applies whether it's legal or not, right? Um, I think the other thing to really think about is to be mindful of where the industry is going, right? Not where it's at now, but where is it going? There's only so many teams, right? They may, we may, you know, there's a new hockey franchise coming next year, the Seattle Kraken, but how often are new teams added to these leagues? Not often, right? So, so I don't think that's where you're looking for opportunities. It's, to me, it's, it's esports. Mm. That, that's where you're looking for opportunities, right? It's, it's digital and broadcast expansion through streaming, Twitch, that type of thing. Because that's when, when the pie is growing like that in those spaces, there is guaranteed to be new jobs, right? rather than looking at expansion of the number of teams in a league, you're not going to find many opportunities there. So you're just waiting. One person retires and a thousand people apply for the job. That, that's tough. But if as esports grows and becomes more legitimate and they, you know, normalize the revenue streams and things like that, how do you get a piece of that pie? There's a new job created, you know, every day in that type of space. Um, so, so I think it's finding where you can fit into those niches of, of growth rather than where we are currently. I, I think that's, that's the best way, at least that's how I would approach it. Um, particularly, again, if you, if you have an intersection there, right? Like I, I like video games as well. So esports to me are, are incredibly cool and fascinating and where it goes, especially when, you know, in the NBA, a lot of the NBA teams also own esports franchises. So what if you become kind of the esports, you know, um, event expert 
And then you get hired by an NBA team to run their esports program. And then you do so well there that they also bring you in the fold for NBA stuff. Like that's kind of how the, the trajectory can look more so than just, I'm going to go work at the NFL. Right. Mm, that's really good advice. I never thought about that, but yeah, esports is, is, is on the rise. It is on the rise for sure. It's booming. Right. And it's so comparable to sports too. Right. From, from the leagues, the teams, the players, but, but I think what I, what I love about it and why it's so fascinating to me, imagine being there when the NFL is being founded, right? And everyone's just sorting through like, how many divisions are we going to do? How are we going to structure it? How are we going to pay? Is there a labor union or not? Like that's what esports are right now. Right. It, just being there for that, uh, to me, it's, just, uh, it's fascinating. It is. I wasn't quite sure how long that momentum was going to last. And when I saw that uh, universities were recruiting folks specifically for esports, that they were putting together travel teams and, and, and being able to, to have fun that way, that they were building spaces just for these events to happen. I said, oh, wow, this is, this is gonna be around for a while. And, and it's just in its infancy, really, compared to the other sports. I, you know, I, a lot of people, older generation, just to, completely stereotype it have a hard time grasping it and why it's so relevant but i like to think about it this way in that the video game industry outsells like music and tv and movies yeah yeah And, and, and you think about people that grow up so if you grow up so one of the biggest laments you hear is how can i watch someone else play a video game you watch people play football right yeah, that's right. Right? Like, so so you grew up watching football, baseball, basketball, whatever the sport is, and you maybe played a little bit as a kid, but you never went pro. You played for your high school team, so you're a big fan, and that's really embedded in who you are. And some kids are still doing that, but half the kids are just playing and watching video games. Mm-hmm. Just like you now watch uh, grown men and women play sports, that's what they're doing too. Like, it's, it's so comparable, but people just can't – they just don't want to believe that it's comparable because they don't want to like feel like their watching of sports is somehow at that level when it really shouldn't be taken as an insult. It's just, that's how it is. Right. And um, you know, especially too, as we get more and more digital esports in a way are way more primed for continual expansion. Mm-hmm. You know, if anything, right. We can tie this back to COVID now. That's right so many of our existing sports structures are tied so much with revenue to in arena bands, mm-hmm. not esports, right? And I know they've done some on location type of events and that, that crowd excitement adds to it, but they can also just fire up Twitch and blast out their broadcast to millions of people. And, and as long as they, continue to sort through how do we monetize that process they'll be fine yeah yeah sky's the limit really yeah absolutely uh, and we're just seeing the some of the beginning grounds of it uh, yeah peter thank you so much for your time today i know you have an extremely busy schedule and i appreciate you taking out some time to step into the coach's box H- happy to do so um i appreciate this type of content love that you're doing it Uh, getting messages out to the masses. So happy to be here. Always happy to help. Yes, we will 
we'll have this, uh, we'll advertise, we will promo on IG. We will um, put this up on our um, podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you, you can digest podcasts, that's where we'll be. And we'll also have a video version on YouTube for you to look at. And if, Peter, if you want to send me the link to that that you were talking about earlier, um, I can make sure that's embedded into the YouTube. Perfect. Love it. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you for stepping into the coach's box. See you next time. Be safe, everyone. See you.